Well, good morning. Um, it, it is a great pleasure to be with you this morning, though certainly not a great pleasure to be with you like this. Um, yesterday, I was the <clears throat> unhappy recipient of a positive COVID test. So as a result, uh, I'm going to be coming to you uh, from 15 blocks away and <laughs> recorded yesterday. Uh, but wanted to bring the word to you as uh, either way, because I think it's a great word and I think it's something... Um, that I trust and I hope is going to encourage you and, and speak to your heart as well, just as it has to mine this week. Um, so we're going to just dive right into it. If you have a Bible, Bible app with you there, we're going to do what we do each week. We're going to look into a passage of God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have that scripture, if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 now. Matthew 12, beginning at verse 1. And if you're able, you could stand for the reading of God's Word. Ready? Matthew says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful for them to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David, this is King David, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered into the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat or those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane or, or violate the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man with what was there with a withered hand, and, he, and they asked us, the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Uh, now, they already had a very clear answer to that question. Uh, they would say, no, unless it was a life or death matter, you were not permitted, according to their regulations, to, to heal somebody on the Sabbath. It could wait for the next day. So they ask him, Matthew adds, they ask him this question so that they might accuse him. Jesus said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See that, man? He's like, you're asking the wrong question. Is, is it lawful to heal? Is it lawful to do? You're asking the wrong question. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. Wow. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. That's God's word. You may be seated. Uh, let me pray for us quickly and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, I, I ask that you would help us in, in this kind of strange interaction, kind of digitally this morning from such a distance, that you would still speak powerfully through your word to your people who are gathered together this morning at Dunbar Heights. God, I'm, I'm asking you to be powerfully present there, as I know you are, but to, to break down every wall and boundary and, and, and hindrance to your word. And speak powerfully uh, right to exactly uh, where, where every single person hearing my voice today needs it. You've spoken powerfully to me. God, do that same work now in your people this morning. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I want you to imagine with me, if you can, a, a world in the future 
where now, because of the, you know, in order to address the increasingly dire issue of screen addiction, like cell phone addiction, cell phone usage is now massively restricted by the government. Okay, so, so now, after five minutes, all phone conversations, they cut off. You, you are only permitted, the phone will only let you send three text messages a day. Apps like uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, th those are no longer downloadable on your phone. And the only game that you're permitted to download onto your phone is Wordle, which if you know, you know, I mean, you can only play that once a day in just a few minutes. Now, I, re I realize that for some of you, that probably sounds perfectly normal. You're like, oh, that sounds very reasonable to me. What, what could be wrong with that? That's how you currently use your cell phone. But the reality is that for most of the developed world, yeah, no, that, that, those kind of guidelines like that I just described, yeah, no, that's a nightmare. <laughs> that's a dystopian drama on the level of like Hunger Games or, or Orwell's 1984. Just, just unthinkable. No, can't be done. But now imagine further with me that Steve Jobs, the, the inventor of the iPhone, he hasn't died yet. And because now at this point in the future, uh, a time travel is available, Steve travels to this future world where, where most now freely subscribe to these cell phone restrictions, though some, yes, either unwilling or unable to do so, have a, just abandoned cell phone usage altogether. How, how do you think he'd respond when, when, when he saw how they were using this device which he had invented what do you think now of course this is a it's a made-up scenario i get it so so we don't know but but what i imagine steve jobs feeling is a mixture of confusion and sadness and, and then just trying to tell as many people as possible that while well, yes okay great great screen addiction that's yeah, a very important thing to, to address and watch out for and to be avoided in adding all these restrictions restriction after restriction after restriction to the cell phone use in order to prevent that danger they had now completely lost sight of the good purpose for which he had designed the smartphone to begin with. Namely, like to help encourage and facilitate connection with people, uh, to support learning, give access to like an infinite database of knowledge in our pocket, and yes, actually, to also provide entertainment and enjoyment for the user. It was all those things. But certainly, so, so because, yeah, look at this. I mean, certainly, you know, the danger of screen addiction had been avoided. Check. Great. And yet in the process, the truly inc incredible gift of the smartphone had become a burden. It had become a joyless thing to use, and in some cases, it had been abandoned altogether. And yeah, while, while it's not a one-to-one -one parallel, and certainly Jesus is not like traveling through time in the same way that uh, Steve Jobs was in that imaginary scenario, um, I, I, and yet I wonder if this isn't almost exactly the same scenario that we see in our passage today. As Jesus confronts the Pharisees about the way they had in their zeal to ensure that, that no work was done on the Sabbath, uh, to, to ensure that that command was obeyed, that command was the fourth command from the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, uh, that, that, that they had, the result of what they had done is they had taken the good gift of the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest and turned it into a burden, turned Sabbath into a burden. Turn Sabbath into a, a joyless exercise that some had abandoned altogether. I wonder if it's not the, almost the exact same thing. And just like for Jesus' listeners then, I think 
the benefit for us today in digging into this passage together, as well as in watching how Jesus corrects the Pharisees' misinterpretation and misunderstanding of his gift of the Sabbath, we might discover, along with those listeners, all the goodness that, that maybe that we've been missing, that we've been missing out on in, in following Jesus' call to a day of rest from work. I wonder if that, that won't just be the, the byproduct of, of listening to Jesus' interaction here with the Pharisees. But you know what? Even more than that, my hope is that in examining this clear example of misinterpretation of God's law leading to misuse and, and abuse of God's good gifts, my hope is that we might be encouraged to look at areas of our life and faith where, where we do this exact same thing as well. We, we, we do the exact same thing in these other areas as the Pharisees were doing. Hear me even with the very best of intentions, hoping that some of those areas will be pointed out as well. So in order to help us track and, and really grasp that, that learning together this morning, I want to look at our passage today in just three ways. I want to show you the origin of the gift. I want to show you recovering the origin, and then we'll close this morning by looking at a pattern of origin misplacement. Okay? The, the, the origin of the gift, recovering the origin, a pattern of origin misplacement. So if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, but you open them again with me to our passage, or you follow along with me, they're Matthew 12, beginning at verse 1. Follow with me as Jesus unpacks, I believe, exactly what he meant by the offer of rest that he just finished offering back in Matthew eleven twenty eight. the passage we just looked at last week. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think he's, he's showing us exactly here what that rest that he's offering looks like. Rest both for the presently weary as well as the promise of rest into eternity. And that's the thing, right? Whether you were here last week or not, if you know or have heard that, that passage that I just quoted before from Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, which, which comes yeah, just immediately before our passage in Matthew 12, so it's, it's within the, the context of what we're looking at today, you know that, there, in the context of talking about labor, uh, work, carrying heavy yokes, this is Jesus offering rest to the weary, to, to offer the, the lightening of burdens. But what many today don't always immediately recognize is that the offer, the, is that in that offer of rest, is that the practice of Sabbath itself, which Jesus is here trying to help correct the, the Pharisees' misinterpretation of, the practice of Sabbath itself is all about that very thing. Sabbath is all about rest for the weary. Sabbath is all about rest for the heavy laden. That, that, that's what the original intent of the Sabbath command was from the very beginning. So let's do this. Let, let, let's begin where God begins, looking at the Sabbath, and talk about the origin of the gift. The origin of the gift. And we know that rightly understanding the Sabbath is what this whole conflict in our passage is all about. Because as you look at verse 2 there, according to the Pharisees, right, Jesus' disciples have done what is not lawful for them to do on the Sabbath. They, they've broken the law about the Sabbath. And, and we're going to get into what the Pharisees believe Jesus' disciples had done wrong, as well as Jesus' response to their accusation in a moment. But first, I want to just quickly begin by talking about what the Sabbath is. Like why that matters so much to begin with because I don't know maybe either because you didn't grow up in church or, or, or I don't know maybe someone just never told you maybe you don't know what that is I know what that's okay that, that's nothing to be embarrassed about at all because when, when you consider that apparently at least according to Jesus the religiously serious of his day they didn't seem to know either so hey, you're, you're in good company if, if 
what you need today is either a lesson or a refresher on the Sabbath. So the word itself, Sabbath, it simply comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest. And the origin of the Sabbath command, that no work was to be done on this day of rest, which, if you didn't know, was, was Saturday for devout Jews from, from back then all the way right up until today, that, that command came from the Ten Commandments. That was one of the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament law, which Moses, remember Charlton Heston, Christian Bale, that he brought down from the mountain with the two stone tablets, it's found in there. If you want to read the entire list of those commands, they can be found in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And actually, God willing, this is my plan anyway. Uh, that, that's also Ten Commandments is where we're going to dig in for a while over the summer months as well. And the command, the, the command regarding the Sabbath as itself, this is the fourth command of the ten, reads this way. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, and do all your work, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Okay, which, I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty easy to understand. <clears throat> yeah, until, <laughs> until you come to realize that at no point does God define what he means by work. Like, what, what? What qualifies as, as work? I mean, look, you can see he's very clear there about like, who, who it is that, that, that's not supposed to do any work. He, he has a very clear list of all these different people that aren't supposed to do work. But when it comes to what work actually entails, there's little to no explanation at all. In fact, in the entire Old Testament law, there were only two specific restrictions as it relates to work uh, that, that was not to be done on the Sabbath. That was kindling fires, that's in Exodus 35, and, and, and then gathering sticks, Numbers 15. So, okay, I mean, is that it? Is that, is that all that is expected within, within the obedience to observe the Sabbath, to keep it holy? Don't, don't, like, gather firewood or roast marshmallows? Is, is that all that God intended for the totality of this command to observe the Sabbath and, and keep it holy and cease from work? Well, helpfully, God did give one more very important indication as to exactly what he intended the Sabbath to be in the verse immediately following. When God concluded his teaching on the fourth command with these words, he says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, <clears throat> just, just so you know, uh, don't worry or, or sorry, uh, I'm, I'm not going to touch, I'm not even going to give any time at all to any of the, the questions that you might have there about the earth's origins, like did God create the earth in six literal days, how, how old is the earth, uh, we're, we're not even going to touch that, sorry, uh, uh, not because I don't think those questions are interesting to talk about, but uh, first of all because I think answering them is actually a, a lot more complicated than most people think, and, and secondly, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about Earth's origins. We're talking about the origin of this command to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, so we're going to focus in there. But, but God gives this explanation right after the command. Six days, God made everything, and then he rested on the seventh day. That's his rationale for that. And what I think this additional information is showing us, at least, is that the origin of the commandment that's causing all this conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples, that, that the origin of that commandment has an origin itself, that, that, an, an origin that is embedded all the way back into the order of creation. It means that just as work, 
was part of God's good creation long before the world became infected and fractured by sin's curse, so too was rest. Rest was also something that God saw as good and that he embedded into the very fabric of his creation as well. It's how we design everything. And I think, I think the question that you do have to answer in relation to that, that revelation is why. Like, why would he do that? Why was rest so important to God that not only did he command us to do it ourselves, but he actually lived out the pattern that he wanted us to live out himself? Why would he do that? Because if you think about it, sure, in, in his humanity, in the gospel accounts, I mean, we read about Jesus getting tired all the time in his humanity. But, but in his divinity, as the one who the apostle Paul says, by whom and for whom all things were created in Colossians, it's unfathomable to even imagine that God needed rest because he was tired. No, right? So, so what? What was it? Why was rest so important to him? And the simple answer, I, I think it really is as simple as this. The answer is that rest, it, it's really good. <laughs> Resting, recover, restoration, it's really good. It's a good thing. And, and God is a God who desires to give good gifts to his children. I think, honestly, it's as simple as that. So, so God designs rest into the very pattern of his good creation, not only so that it would be necessary, not only so that we would, we would need rest and avoid it to our detriment, but because in, in, but he did it in order to bless us, to, to give us a, a gift of rest so that we might enjoy it as a good gift from our Father. That, that was his original intent from the beginning. I mean, you, you can almost think of it exactly like getting your oil changed in your car. Right? The design of a car itself is that the engine oil needs to be changed at least every four months. You know, because why? The, the engine oil breaks down over time and no longer lubricates the parts uh, as well as it needs to. And, and sure, yeah, you could ignore the manufacturer's order to change the, the engine oil to, to the detriment of your car. You could do that. But man, far more than that, far more than simply being necessary for the car's functioning, changing the oil is also the thing that increases the longevity of the car's life. That, that allows the car not just to run, but to run well. I believe the very same thing is true for the origin of the commandment. To honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. It's commanded. Yeah, it's, it's required. So sure, we ignore it to our detriment. But man, look, look at this. It's also intended for our good. It's, in, it's a gift intended to bless you. Because it's in the nature of our God to bless his children with good gifts. Which, listen, which means... That the original intent of the Sabbath for God's people was not solely a commandment to be obeyed. What he intended the Sabbath to be was a gift to be enjoyed. That's the original intent. That's the origin of the command. But, given what we said about work and its definition, therein lies the problem. As well as the origin of this conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples, right? Because in the absence of a clear definition, it's not like they hadn't read that passage afterwards, but they were like, but we need to know. We need to know what work is and isn't. So, so what had happened, what God's people had done over time, and hear me, I believe what they had done with the very best of intentions was to seek to put all kinds of restrictions, put all kinds of safeguards around the command, around working on the Sabbath, all to help ensure that the command was obeyed and that nobody did any work. We need to just put this stuff around it to keep people from ever breaking the command. And the list just kept getting greater and greater. But of course, the result in doing that, just like we saw with the imaginary scenario, that future scenario with cell phone restrictions, was that God's people lost sight 
of the, the command's original intent. They lost sight of the fact that it was a gift. They took what was intended for a blessing and turned it into a burden. They, they, they took what, what God designed for our good and made it about strict obedience to the letter of the law rather than the enjoyment of just resting. And so what Jesus seeks to do now in our passage as disciples that are guilty of violating, if you see here, not the command itself, but the safeguards placed around it, that, that's all they're actually really guilty of violating. What Jesus seeks to do here is to help recover the original intent of the fourth commandment so that, so that he can help get them back to what it was originally intended to do. So, so that's what I want to look at next with you is, is recovering the origin, get, getting back to the origin. That's what Jesus is helping us to do here. So again, the context of the conflict, if you look at verse 1 with me now, is that Jesus' disciples have violated these safeguards that put in place around the command to do no work on the Sabbath, and are now they're, they're in hot water with the Pharisees, right? They're like, Jesus, what, what are your disciples doing? They're breaking the law here. But, but how, how interesting, at least from in the Pharisees' eyes, is, is the fact here that, that violating the safeguards is the, is the same for them as violating the command itself. They, they, they put those two things on equal ground here. They just say, you violated the Sabbath, even though really all they violated is the safeguards, not the command itself. But you might be wondering, like, okay, so like, well, how could they see this as work? Like grabbing a couple of heads of grain and just like eating the kernels. How could they possibly see that as work? Well, Leon Morris is helpful here in explaining how it is that the Pharisees saw the disciples' actions as being violation of the Sabbath command. Noting this. Quote, he says, as they understood it, plucking the grain was reaping, rubbing it to separate the grain from the husks, that was threshing, blowing away the husks, that may well have been interpreted as winnowing, and for good measure, they may have seen their actions as a whole as preparing food on the Sabbath, which was also forbidden. <laughs> Are you seeing this? Like, can, can, you, can you see that even, even in the smallest examples, just how far from the original good intent God's people had wandered? Again, I believe that the intention behind doing this was, was absolutely very best intentions, putting these safeguards in place. Uh, that it was actually absolutely good intentions, and yet in doing so, the blessing that God intended for His people in the Sabbath command was now lost entirely. They, they weren't enjoying what the Sabbath was originally designed to do. So in order to help recover that lost intent, to recover the origin, as well as clear as disciples of any wrongdoing whatsoever, according to the law, Jesus provides here now, if you see, three examples from Scripture, as well as a real-time example, to point his listeners back to the Sabbath command's good origin. He's trying to show them in each of these examples, this is what, guys, this is what this was originally designed to do. And beginning with the very first example we see there is an example from the life of King David. That King David is, is fleeing, at least at the time here, from King Saul, who wanted to kill him before he could become the next king of Israel. It's found this in 1 Samuel 21. And the point Jesus is making here is that although it was not lawful for anyone but priests to eat these special loaves of bread that had been baked and, and, and placed before God in the temple each Sabbath, the scriptures do not condemn David or any of the other people for this action. Because, why? Because the loaves served to meet his need of hunger. It's the law... The, the, the law, the scriptures don't condemn him for doing that, even though the law said he couldn't do it. Next, Jesus reminds his listeners that, guys, just look at what we see. When we go to the temple every Sabbath, every week, the priests in the temple violate and break the Sabbath by working. They're, they're working all through the day, offering sacrifices. I mean, I, I can 
kind of identify with this a little bit. <laughs> if you think of a Sunday as a Sabbath day, I mean, that's a day that I work, right? That's not a day off for me. So he's like, look, the, the priests do that every week. They're, they're working all through the Sabbath, and nobody bats an eye. Why? Well, because they understand that service in the temple trumps the command not to do work. This is of higher importance. Jesus then reminds them of this passage from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, a passage he'd already quoted back in chapter 9 when the Pharisees were kind of confronting him about eating with tax collectors and sinners, reminding them that according to God's own testimony, compassion, mercy towards others, that's more important than strict obedience to the law in God's eyes. Who, who, who you are on the inside, how you see other people, how you treat other people is more important than that you check all the boxes and get all the rules right. So he quotes this again for a second time. Why? Because again, to God, the, the state of our heart is more important than our external actions. He's showing that. He's like, yes, the law is important, but, but you're understanding it wrong. You're not, you're not seeing it correctly. Lastly, as the Pharisees try to trap Jesus and trick him into violating their Sabbath safeguards about healing on the Sabbath. Remember I said, for them, healing was something, apparently, if you could heal people, couldn't do it on the Sabbath, unless it was life and death and, and yeah. Clearly, this guy could wait. He could wait another day. So they say, they, they, they ask him this question in order to like hope that he'll heal and they can accuse him of, of breaking their, again, not the law, but the safeguards around him. And Jesus responds there, look in verse 11, with, with a real-time scenario that they could all relate to and none could deny by asking him, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And Jesus is asking, essentially, wouldn't, wouldn't you perform that work on the Sabbath without even thinking twice about it? And, and of course, like, yeah, the, the affirmative answer is, is assumed. Of course you would. You, you'd pull the sheep out. You wouldn't be like, I guess you've got to stay there, bud. You, you'd pull the sheep out. And then Jesus follows up with that. Okay, but think about this. He's, he's using an a fortiori argument from, from the lesser to the greater. If, if, if you do that with a sheep, how much of, of how much more value is a human being? Shouldn't, and so that, that's why he says there, he's like, of, of course you would. It's the implication of the question. Of course you'd pull the sheep out. Because, again, he's saying you're, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking all these questions about like, well, is, it, is it right to do this? Is it right to do that? He says, you know what it's right to do? It's right to do good on the Sabbath. That's my original intent because the original intent of my command is goodness for you. And so the original intent for you is to both experience goodness and, and to do good unto others. But do you see, in each one of these examples, what Jesus is doing, he's pointing back to the original intent of the law, and he's saying, guys, do you see what a great distance you've, you've wandered now between where you are today and the law's original intent? You've wandered so far. The law's intent from the beginning, it was to bless you. It was to serve you and help you operate as I designed you to, to operate. And yet, you have now made man a servant of the law. You've completely flipped it on its head, and that's not what I designed it to be. So, in fact, it's like Matthew doesn't list it in his gospel, but in Mark's account of this very same story, Jesus, Jesus ends his, his section here, kind of recovering the origin by saying this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I, I made this for you. I didn't make you so that you could fit into my rules and jump through all my hoops. Sabbath was made for you. Now, although his reasoning is, is plain, entirely sound, as we see there in verse 14, look, Pharisees, they're not having it, man. They're like, no. They, they reject Jesus' authority to recover the command's original intent entirely. They're like, no, 
we're sticking with our definition, sorry. And, and, and then, even though in, in healing this man with just a word, he just says, stretch out your hand and the man does. He just heals him with the word again, demonstrating his divine authority as God's Messiah to redefine it, to return to the original definition. They're not having it. But the point that I trust any listening to Jesus' defense of his disciples uh, understood then, and which I pray you and I understand today as well, is, is this. It was a recovery of God's good intention in commanding that we honor a good day of rest. That's what the whole point of, this, of each of these examples is about. It's, it's helping them to recover the origin, to get back to you see what, what this was originally intended to do. To cease from labor and enjoy the rest and restoration that our finite physical bodies so desperately need. Not at all because God wants us to prove our devotion to Him by jumping through a series of religious hoops or because He wants to limit our productivity. No. But because His desire and design from the beginning was to bless us with rest. Just to give us that gift of rest because He's a Father that gives good gifts. That's it. And I know, yeah, like I get it. Like even today, that, that, that idea of a Sabbath day, taking a Sabbath day, that, that's so far removed from pretty much all of our modern day experience and language. Like we don't talk that way. It sounds like super like archaic and stuffy, like something out of like a, <clears throat> a play about the Amish or something like that. Oh, good Sabbath to you, sir. Like we, we, don't, we don't talk that way. I get it. Or maybe you'd say because maybe you have like a theological understanding of the law that you'd kind of want to push back against any observance of the Sabbath and be like, no, 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 listen, Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the requirements of the law for on our behalf, so we no longer have to observe this Sabbath day. And that's right, he absolutely has. And yet, I wonder, I wonder if... If, if, if a part of the reason that we've all but abandoned the command of God to take a Sabbath day today isn't actually for that reason at all. But because, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, we've lost sight of the reason God commanded a day of Sabbath rest to begin with. We've lost sight of that. We've lost sight, uh, and, and we saw the fourth commandment as a requirement to obey and therefore a burden. And we're like, Jesus has taken away burdens, so we don't need to follow them anymore. But, but rather than seeing it as an invitation into a gift of rest to be enjoyed. Because when you see it that way, when you see the original intent, you're not going to say, well, Jesus fulfilled that, that gift to me. You'd be like, oh, it's a gift. I want to receive that because you understand it correctly. That's what Jesus is trying to help us get back to. And no, listen, I'm not saying that I think we should sort of get back to that language, start talking that way. I don't I think it sounds weird to people. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that's at all what we should do. But having now recovered and seen for ourselves the, the good intent behind the command, I wonder if recovering the practice of taking a day of rest is exactly one of the ways we take Jesus up on his offer to the weary and heavy laden that he gave there in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. A passage that we, we love to quote, and yet I think we spiritualize so often. We just think about it as like rest from labors for earning our salvation, which it is. But, but then ignore the good gift of just like, he's just inviting you to rest. To, to stop laboring for a day and, wor and working and rest. And man, listen, I'll freely confess that this is an area of faith and discipleship that I know that I am regularly negligent in. I, I'm, I'm often disobedient in, so I'm not presenting this all as some kind of like holier than thou, why can't you follow Jesus as good as I do kind of sense. Like, no, listen, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm asking the question out of my own conviction. As I'm convicted by this, man, I don't do this well. 
And then simply just wondering aloud, okay, well, and then what about you? I know this is speaking really specifically and directly to me. What about you? Where is the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning as it relates to this offer of rest that we can so often, I think, lack the faith to take Jesus up on? And I don't know if it's the same for you, maybe not. But, but for me, I think lack of faith is exactly what's at the root of my failure to, take, uh, to, to, to make a Sabbath day, make an actual day off, whatever you want to call it, a part of my weekly, weekly rhythm. I think lack of faith is absolutely at the root of why I do that. It, it, it's me not believing God enough that the world's not going to fall apart, that the church is not going to close and shut down if I close my laptop for a day, Right? To simply enter into the gift of rest that he invites me into. And I, I needed to hear this myself this week. And this was such a, uh, a blessing to me. So, yeah. How about you? Well, now that you see what the original intent of the commandment was. The original intent behind this command. And yet, without being all religious about it. Turning the gift once again into a burden all over again. Making it like something you do to earn God's favor. No. How could you do this yourself? How could you move towards a more intentional practice of rest this week yourself? And again, I'm not talking about being religious about this word, but maybe, and that's going to seem weird, but maybe just like the devout Jews of Jesus' day, maybe you actually prepare your meals ahead of time for that day so that you're not having to do a bunch of meal prep and stuff like that. Maybe that is how you rest, doing meal prep. Okay, but something else where you prepare ahead of time intentionally so that you can actually take a day of rest. Where maybe you don't take calls or any meetings on that day. And, and, and you make use of the and do not disturb function that, that most of our phones have nowadays. You actually turn it on for a day. Again, I think when we understand God's original intent in the Sabbath as being a gift to us, not some religious hoop to jump through, we're actually, we'll actually follow through on taking them up on the offer. Not just talk about it. We're like, oh, that sounds good. No, actually, we'll actually do it. We'll follow through. On, and, and take him up on his offer as rest, a rest, and I think in so doing, I believe we'll operate both more and more as God designed for us to operate best. And I think we'll also just experience health. We'll experience greater joy. We'll experience greater restoration as he intended for us in the practice of Sabbath from the beginning. But yeah, here's the thing, as I said when we began this morning, the reality is that what we see in our passage today is really just kind of one fleshed out example of the many ways that we can and do this exact same thing. We, we lose sight of the original intent of God's good commands. We do this in all kinds of different ways. Sabbath is just one example of it. Leading us to view his, his gifts intended for our good as either a burden, to view them as something that we simply just go through the motions of with kind of a joyless obedience, or that we abandon altogether. Because when we lose the origin, that's how we approach it. Which means, to some extent, the fact that we do this all the time, I think it could be said that when it comes to the commands of God, intended for our good, we can often demonstrate a pattern of origin misplacement. I'll close with this. I think we can often demonstrate like a pattern of origin displacement, that we do this actually all the time. And I think we can say this, this it's safely say that this is a pattern. It is, because if you look at the verse from Hosea 6, that Jesus uh, has now already quoted twice in Matthew's Gospel, back from the Old Testament, namely, he says, I desire mercy, 
and not sacrifice. We can see that meant even from long ago, all the way back in the Old Testament. God's people had already lost sight of the good intent of God's law and needed a, a kind of a course correction. Guys, you're over here. Come back over here. I, I, the sacrifices, yeah, that's right, but it's, I, I desire your, your heart to be in line with me, to be a merciful person, not to be someone who just checks the boxes. He's giving them that course correction. This is way back in the Old Testament God's doing this. But the fact is, you saw this as recently as Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus repeated refrain as it related to the different points of the law that he brings up. Is, hey, you've heard it said, and then follows it up with, but I say to you. It's like, yeah, this is the teaching you've heard on this. This is how you've come to understand it, but it's, it, that's not, it's not, not quite. That's not, it's not exactly right. In fact, it's far more than that. So he's correcting the course there. We see him doing that, which I believe makes Jesus' statement there in verse 8, look with me there, of our passage, all the more significant, where he says, for the Son of Man, that's him, that's his favorite title for himself in Matthew, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath, because I believe embedded within that statement is not solely the truth that Jesus has authority to rightly interpret the law in a way that the priests and religious leaders of his day did not, but what, what, what makes him Lord of the Sabbath was that it was his idea to begin with. He's the one that came up with that. He's like, that's mine. I'm glad you've defined it that way. That's not what I designed it to be. I designed it to be like this. I, I'm Lord of that thing because I created it. So again, just returning for a moment to the analogy that we began with. As, as Lord of the iPhone, right? Steve Jobs, he could authoritatively correct those future people's misunderstanding of iPhone usage, not simply because he knew the most about the iPhone, right? No, he, he knew the most about the iPhone because he was the one who had designed it. Yes, of course, with a whole team of, of talented designers along with him, but he's the one that came up with it. So it's not just that he had the most knowledge. He was the, the, the Lord of the iPhone. So that's why he had authority to, to reinterpret it and get back to the origin of what it was originally intended to do. But if you remember something else that Jesus said in that same Sermon on the Mount, he said that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not to get rid of the law and just be like, hey, I, don't, I don't want you to do that anymore, but I came to fill it up, to bring it to its fulfillment. That's something we've been looking at throughout Matthew's gospel. Remember we said Matthew is a gospel of fulfillment. But look at this here, because that's one of the essential things. Jesus' fulfilling of the law, not abolishing it, is one of the essential things about Jesus' life and ministry that, we've, that we often miss. Namely, Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was not solely to pay the penalty for all of our disobedience to God's law, all, all the ways we disobeyed God's law. He came to live perfectly obedient to the law himself in a way that none of us ever could, thus fulfilling the righteous demands of the law. That's also why he came, to live perfectly obedient to the law. I mean, there's volumes that we could say about that truth. That, that, that's incredible and massive. But, but as it relates to the good intent of God's laws and our pattern of origin misplacement, something that stands out to me, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. It kind of was new to me anyway. Something that stands out to me is what Jesus' perfect obedience to the law looked like as he carried it out. You ever thought about that? What, what Jesus looked like, how, how he looked as he was living perfectly obedient to the law. Because if you read the gospel accounts in their entirety, what you never once see is Jesus approaching the, 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 the law in, in this kind of as a burden, just like, ugh, I guess. Or, or, or just kind of going through the motions sort of way. Certainly you never see Jesus once abandoning the law altogether. No, right? Obedience to the law for Jesus, it seemed, as you watch him, it seemed like something joyful to him. 
It seemed like something life-giving. It seemed like something that caused him to live his life with this infectious freedom that just infuriated the religious and, and, and inspired and called the unworthy to be like, I want to know more about that. It's almost as though Jesus saw the law of God as a good thing because he understood the original intent of why he made it. And so it allowed him to live out the law, live obedient to the law that way. <clears throat> so when it comes to guarding ourselves, I'll close with this. When it comes to guarding ourselves against this pattern of origin misplacement, I, th I think one of the best antidotes possible to that error is to look at Jesus' pattern of obedience. Look at, look at what Jesus looked like as he was obeying and then seek as much as is possible as God, as God by his grace enables us. Seek to make that our own pattern of obedience as well. I think, I think that's the antidote to, to origin misplacement. Look at how he obeyed the law and kind of compare it to our own experience. Am I experiencing obedience to the law that way? Am I experiencing obedience to the way that Jesus did in this glorious, life-giving, joyful way? So that, that's the question. That's the question as we close this morning. As you think of your own life and as you consider what it looks like to follow the law. Again, not, not at all does, does a Christian any longer follow the law because we're trying to earn our salvation. We're trying to earn God's acceptance. We have that in Jesus. We obey the law now out of glad, grateful hearts and out of understanding its good intent, that it's, that it's good for us, that he desires good for us. That's why we obey now. But as you consider your own life, think about, for instance, where do the commands of God seem burdensome to you? There's a particular command that you're just like, nah, I can't do that. It's too hard. It's too much. I can't do it. Maybe what you need is to just rediscover the origin and the good intent of that command again. Maybe, maybe you're missing it in a way that, that Jesus can point you back to it and say, this is why I intended that to begin with, and it's good. Where, where do you know that you are simply going through the motions of obedience without either understanding what you're truly doing or with a true heart behind them. It's kind of that, that almost like turns it into a burden. Seek to rediscover the origin of that command. Rediscover the good intent of that command. And I think it completely will change your perspective rather than just doing it in this kind of lifeless, going through the motions way. And lastly, which are the commands of God that you've given up trying to follow altogether? You just neglect. You're just like, <clears throat> I'm not doing that. No, that's, that's not me. If that's part of the Bible, I'm not. I, I don't want to do that. Seek to rediscover the origin. Seek to rediscover the good intent of that command. It may be that you're not seeing it. And that's why it seems like something you're just like, man, I'm not, I'm not taking part of that. Maybe you're not understanding it correctly. You don't see the good origin. And that's why it feels so passable and something like you can just abandon. Because here's the thing, I believe in doing so. I believe in seeing the good intent and entering into our obedience to God, not to earn our salvation or to earn our acceptance, but out of joy and gratitude. I believe that in so doing, when we understand that good intent, what you may just find in the end is the very freedom you thought that the law was restricting you from. And... I absolutely believe, particularly as it relates to this command of Sabbath today, I believe when you see it as the gift it was intended for, you'll enter into the rest that Jesus offers to every single one of us, and you'll find the rest that he intended in that command right from the very beginning. Amen. Amen. God help us to do that.